Sudan in focus on the Voice of America. I'm Nabil Biagio in Washington, working on this program via remote. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan this Monday, July 4th, 2022. South Sudanese react to their government's decision not to hold Independence Day celebrations. The independence is very, very important initiative, a national initiative that reflects the history of the people of South Sudan through the years of struggle. And Pope Francis sends a message of peace and reconciliation to the people and leaders of South Sudan and the DRC. You are so dear to me. Think of how more precious and love you are in the eyes of God, who never ignores all who place their hope in him. You have a great mission, all of you beginning with the political authorities, that of turning the page to open new paths, the paths of reconciliation. We will have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. Francis, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Reverend Justin Welby, and the moderator of the Church of Scotland, the Right Reverend Ian Greenshields, called on the people of South Sudan and the Democratic Republic of Congo to work together to promote peace. The three church leaders sent separate messages of hope to the people and leaders of both African countries over the weekend. For VOA News, Waki Simon Udu reports from Juba. In his video message on Saturday, Pope Francis urged the people and leaders of South Sudan to, in his words, turn a page and create new paths of reconciliation, peace and development. You are so dear to me. Think of how more precious and loved you are in the eyes of God, who never ignores all who place their hope in him. You have a great mission all of you beginning with the political authorities, that of turning the page to open new paths, the paths of reconciliation, paths of forgiveness, paths of serene coexistence and development. Francis released the video message on the day he planned to start a week-long pilgrimage with the other religious leaders to the two countries. He urged the people of South Sudan not to give up hope. Let us not lose faith, but cultivate the hope of meeting soon, as soon as it will be possible. I would like to tell you that in these weeks especially, I carry you in my heart more than ever before. I carry within me, in my prayer, the sufferings that you have experienced over such a long time. Francis called off the trip last month due to knee pain that makes walking and standing difficult. The Pope encouraged South Sudanese to think of the next generation. It is a mission to assume looking together to the future, to the many young people who populate your flourishing and wounded lands, filling them with lights and future. They dream and deserve to see these dreams realize and to see days of peace. For their sake, it is necessary to lay down arms, overcome resentment, and write new pages of brotherhood. 
the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, and the moderator of the Church of Scotland, Right Reverend Ian Greensfield, reiterated their solidarity with the people of South Sudan in their quest for peace and urged political leaders to follow up on their commitments to restore stability in the country. I pray and urge that your leaders would remember these commitments. Peace requires much more than not being at war. It must be created together with your fellow leaders and even with your enemies so that all may flourish. Archbishop Welby, who visited South Sudan in 2014, urged citizens to turn away from revenge and embrace reconciliation. Turn from the spirit of revenge. Seek the spirit of reconciliation. God knows how hard that is. Christ on the cross chose forgiveness and service amid suffering. He showed us that these hardest things are our greatest strengths. And he is with you by his spirit to the ends of the earth. In their messages, the three religious leaders expressed their regrets for the postponement of their visit, but urged all South Sudanese to continue working for peace. For VONO, Zamwaki Simon Wudu in Juba. A team of prosthetists from India's disabled rehabilitation company is giving hope to hundreds of war disabled in South Sudan by giving them artificial legs and arms. The Indian ambassador to South Sudan says his embassy is partnering with South Sudan's Defense and Veteran Affairs Ministry to provide support to thousands of amputees in South Sudan. Manyang David Mayar has more for VOA from Juba. At a workshop inside the Juba Military Hospital, a team of Indian protesters assemble artificial limbs for a couple seated under a chair on the hospital's ground. A brown artificial leg is being assembled for a 45-year-old South Sudanese, Simon Juma, who says he lost his right leg during the 1997 war at Jambor. Juma says he has remained single because all women he asked to marry him turned him down due to his disability. Juma says he has relied on his brother's family for support, but with his new artificial leg, he hopes to find work. I have not been able to work for myself like this life in Juba, where you look for money. I am not able to do it only because of this disability. Some amputees who already received artificial limbs from the Indian company are already celebrating with their families. South Sudanese Machuk Ding says he has no reason to stay home all day now that he is able to walk. Ding told South Sudan in focus by phone last Friday that his wife Akwal Ding burst into laughter when she learned her husband for the first time walked to the nearby forest to cut logs to be sold in the IDP camp in Juba. For the last 20 years, Akej says her family has defended on her for financial support, but now her husband can help. He told us that with his new leg, he is able to go fishing. And we became very excited because if we go to the wetlands, he will be able to go fishing as well. These days, things are very hard. We don't have anything to eat and he is not working. He has been sitting idle. 
it was only when he got the artificial leg that he was able to go out to cut logs. More than 270 amputees have received new limbs from the prosthetic center here at Juba Military Hospital for free over the past few weeks. John Tomilian Michael, a social worker with the Indian Embassy in Juba, says most people who receive artificial limbs were soldiers who were shot during wartime. We have served a number of 276 patients in which 90% are military or ex-military and then 10% are civilian. According to the, to the record that we have, most of the amputees uh, got the incident during 2013 war, 2016 and others since 1983, 1991, 1997 and also 1998. Vishnu Kumar, India's ambassador to South Sudan, says his government wants to support South Sudan's wounded soldiers. This is the consideration that South Sudan has had armed struggle for decades actually. So the armed struggle for freedom after that the conflicts land mining and also diabetes, diabetic patients and some accident cases also have come to our light. But I know that there are a lot of amputees here in South Sudan. That was the main consideration. Kumar says the government of India has spent more than $200,000 to work on South Sudanese war disabled for six weeks. Kumar says a permanent rehabilitation center at Juba Military Hospital will provide a solution to thousands of war veterans. The International Committee of the Red Cross says it runs three rehabilitation centers in Juba, Wau and Rumbek, where they offer free prosthetic services to amputees. For VOA News, Amanyang David Mayor in Juba. South Sudan in focus on the Voice of America. We hear from South Sudanese and their leaders about the upcoming 11th Independence Anniversary. You're listening to South Sudan in focus on the Voice of America. The whole of this week, we will run a special feature stories, vox pops, and interviews on how some South Sudanese feel 11 years after their country gained independence. But we first go for updates on the government's plans for independence celebrations. Some South Sudanese are criticizing the government for not organizing a celebration of the country's 11th independence anniversary. The government says there will be no public celebration due to a lack of funds. A spokesperson says Juba will save money to organize the graduation of the necessary unified forces who have been in training sites for nearly two years. Viola Elias has this report for VOA from Juba. Information Minister Michael Makwe told reporters on Friday, although it is important to celebrate the country's 11th anniversary, the government does not have enough resources to organize a public celebration. He says the Council of Ministers agreed to have a limited celebration. The government found that yes, there is a need for us to celebrate, but uh, celebration will be of a different type other than being the normal celebration because... At present, uh, there are so many issues at hand that we need to address. And making that public and that big celebration means a lot of expense. And at present, we have no funds. Makui says the cabinet agreed to use available funds to graduate the unified forces. Even if we have the little funds that we have, we'll have to make use of them for the graduation. 
allocation of the proceeds that had been in the training centers for that law. So this cabinet decided that the, the celebration this year will only be limited to the president. He will address the nation on the evening, 8th of July, and that all the states and administrative areas are authorized to celebrate at their local levels. Some South Sudanese like Akol Mayen says it is a disappointment that the country repeatedly fails to celebrate its independent anniversary. Mayen says SPLA Revolution Day on May 16, Referendum Day on January 9, and Independent Day on July 9 should be celebrated every year. Without these three days, we will not be calling ourselves uh, you know, as people from the Republic of South Sudan. These are the days which led to the creation of the Republic of South Sudan. MP Paulino Lukudu in the Central Equatorial State Legislative Assembly says the Independent Day celebration is the only way for South Sudanese to reflect the challenges the people have encountered in their struggle for independence. The independence is very, very important initiative, a national initiative that reflects the history of the people of South Sudan through the years of the struggle, starting since then from from the colonization of by the by the, by before even the Anglo Egyptians, the regimes of of Arabs, then to our independence. And the government has to think twice of how important the celebration will be to the people. South Sudan gained independence on July 9, 2011, but the country's independence has been marked only a few times since its birth. The last formal celebrations were held in 2014. Last year, during the COVID-19 pandemic, the government instructed the public to celebrate the country's 10 independent day in their homes. For VOA News, I am Viola Elias in Juba. After 11 years of independence, freedom of expression is still under threat in South Sudan. Activists and pundits say there is a shrinking civic space as opposition politicians and civil society proponents continue to be harassed. Some activists are urging lawmakers to amend laws to protect freedom of speech. Ding Magod has more for VOA from Juba in this special coverage of South Sudan's 11th birthday. The South Sudan People's Liberation Movement Party was formed on the proposition of democracy, free speech, and the rule of law. But many say the ruling party has not lived up to their objectives. Opposition politicians and ordinary citizens say they are yearning for political space. Lawyer Wadi Steven is a managing partner at Witness Law Advocates and East African Coordinator at Innovation Hub for Information Technology Africa. He advocates for better regulation in media and technology. Sibin says ever since South Sudan became an independent state more than a decade ago, civic space was blocked by some of those who fought for independence. From 2010, slightly before uh, uh, we voted for separation, uh, the, polit- the civic and political space were a little bit uh, free, and people had... Uh, had some sort of liberty to express themselves. Uh, but I think that was mainly because uh, 
we had one concern, <laughs> which is separation. And most South Sudanese uh, were, were, were for separation. Uh, as such, there was no need. I mean, there was a few, few, uh, um, a few limitations to, 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 to people's uh, right to express themselves. So the civic and political space was a bit, uh, was, was a bit uh, open and free. Uh, but then when we, ca- when, when we come towards our journey now from 2011, we, I mean, it's clearly that uh, this right has been shrinking uh, and the civic space has been uh, shrinking slowly by slowly. Irene Aya, head of the Media Development Institute and co-founder of the Female Journalist Network, says South Sudanese should be allowed to publicly share their different ideologies. She says since the fighting erupted in 2013, freedom of expression has been restricted. There was no freedom of expression like when you say something, uh, sometimes you are held accountable for what you say. So people started to fear and then it limited uh, political uh, freedom of expression. Even the civil society, uh, their, their position was limited. You could hear that if you want to organize maybe event, uh, you have to take permission. And sometimes they have to even see the topics that you are discussing and who are going to discuss those topics. South Sudanese authorities, especially the National Security Services, have harassed, intimidated, and arbitrarily detained journalists, according to Amnesty International. The watchdog says the government has done very little to protect freedom of expression. During the World Press Freedom Day, the charges they fear for the U.S. Embassy in South Sudan, David Renz, said the government actively censors the media. He noted that radio stations are routinely shut down and journalists are told not to publish certain articles on sensitive topics such as corruption. No doubt the government will deny that it's censored to the press and will object to these benchmarks. But the facts speak for themselves. These are not the hallmarks of a country that respects freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, or freedom of the press. This is not a country with open civic space. South Sudan faces momentous decisions about its future. Especially now, a free press is needed to report the news and to serve as a platform for a robust exchange of ideas and debate. Unrestricted dialogue. Ren says he's calling on the government to redouble its effort to ensure that journalists can perform their duties in a safe, protective environment. Government Information Minister Michael McQuay says freedom of expression has its limitations. Well, freedom of expression is a, is a right given by law, by the international law. It is given by the, Republic, the Constitution of the Republic of South Sudan. And it is provided for by the Media Authority Act and the Access to Information Act. These are laws that were enacted in South Sudan, and uh, these are the laws that provided for freedom of expression. However, freedom of expression does not mean that you are absolute free, because there is nothing absolute in this world. McQuay says since South Sudan became independent, the media authority was established to regulate and monitor the activities of journalists. He says the conditions of journalists has improved since that time, insisting that journalists are protected in South Sudan. The South Sudan Minister for Peace Building, Stephen Parkwall, says politicians should use any and all opportunities to speak because it is their constitutional right. I have heard a lot of lamentation about 
the lack of political space, political and civic space. Somebody advised me, a wise old man, that if you are waiting for political space to be given, you will be waiting for a very long time. So grab it. So we must grab it because it is our constitutional right. It is in the constitutions of South Sudan that there is an association, there is a freedom of association and freedom of expression. Ugambi Kiai, director for Eastern and Horn of Africa for Article 19, says free speech and freedom of expression are part of the casualties of war. He says South Sudanese leaders must commit to the values enshrined in their constitution. The political elite especially, must uh, sit together and recommit themselves to certain pillars, certain principles of governance, which include democracy, human rights, and governance. Um, this would be a recommitment to, you know, the, 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 the values and principles that you find in the Constitution and international human rights uh, protocols that say that they're going to respect them because without that recommitment and that re-engagement around values and principles, you're not going to get uh, any forward motion because there will be no trust at all. Kiai says the guns must also be silenced and national authorities should immediately investigate killings across the country and hold those responsible. South Sudan's transitional constitution includes several laws that regulate and protect people's freedom. The Media Authority Act, the Access to Information Act, and the Broadcasting Act are some of the laws on the books that are meant to protect but also regulate the work of the media in the country. For VOA News, I am Ding Magot in Juba. Some South Sudanese in the diaspora say the rampant insecurity in some parts of their country has discouraged families living abroad from returning home. Oliver Moga is a member of the South Sudanese professionals in the diaspora. He says South Sudanese are yet to enjoy the dividends of the country's independence. Many people have been disappointed by the fact that uh, uh, South Sudan is worse off today than actually uh, before the independence. Why would you say that? When people were voting for independence, they, they had expectations. And right now, the way things are going, um, I think uh, the leaders in South Sudan have actually failed the people of South Sudan. Um, as you know, the country right now is in shambles. Um, there is no development. Um, some people actually are not even living in the in the in their places of origin. Some have been displaced. Some are now in refugee camps, and those who are left behind in South Sudan, um, they're not even living in their villages. Uh, some have been squeezed into Juba, and life in Juba is just hell on earth. If I ask you differently. What would you say about what is happening in Juba as opposed to what should have happened? I think what should have happened is people expected um, you know, a functioning government, government that actually helped uh, facilitate uh, provision of services uh, in South Sudan. Uh, right now, when people are sick, they have even no hospital to go to. Uh, when people want to travel uh, to different parts of South Sudan, there are no roads, no, you know, the bridges that are right, that are now there, those are bridges that, you know, were constructed many, many, many years ago. Uh, some of them are not even uh, functioning. After you casted your vote for independence, it's 11 years down the memory lane. How do you feel today? 
people feel disappointed. Some even, you know, are now even calling that maybe it's even time for the South Sudan, uh, South Sudan and Sudan to come back because, you know, the votes have actually not produced the results that were expected. What were people expecting? Because the expectations are too high and the reality on the ground is different. Well, at least what they, what, what they wanted was they were expecting um, a country where there's security and a country where they can even do some things for themselves. Uh, let's say the government is not uh, providing uh, any services, but at least if there's security, then people can, you know, take things with them to their, into their hands and be able to uh, work things out for themselves. But right now, with that security, you, you cannot do anything. Because today, you know, um, you are in your house, and then tomorrow you are not. You are not in your house. There are people who will challenge you and say, "Dr. Monga, you are supposed to be in Juba to help this country fix the problems you are highlighting. Why are you not going there?" Okay, to be very, uh, to be very clear, um, one time uh, the Vice President uh, Wanig actually came to the United States, and I told him that I was willing to actually work with him to be an advisor on uh, things to do with development. And I even told him very clearly that I don't need to be paid. I could do this just as a patriotic South Sudanese. But guess what? Um, that, that did not go through. And then also there was a time I offered to actually come to Juba and you know, be able to work at University of Juba and contribute. I don't even need to be paid. As long as you know, I'm, I'm given a place that uh, I could uh, could hold a home, so that I'd be able to come to the on campus and provide services. Um, I even sent a list of individuals who could actually help that university. Guess what? Um, we got a reply from University of Juba that yeah, thank you for you know for sharing these ideas, but then it just ended like that. They don't want us to come back. So how are you going to continue sitting on the fence when the house is on fire? And okay, so t to answer you, I think uh, that's why we are right now. We are calling for uh, a transitional uh, government a government that would not include the current people because these people have failed the country. So we cannot continue having them uh, there. So we are actually calling for a transitional uh, government. And when that transitional government actually comes in place, then we can be able to come in and, and, and provide the needed support. So you're telling me the people in the diaspora are calling for change and they want to be part of the change? Exactly. But how, how easy is that? Well, and that's why, you know, um, you know we... we we are, we are working on that. We are actually calling for a formation of a transitional uh, government, a, a new one, because right now what's going on uh, is basically recycling the same people that have actually failed South Sudan for, you know, since, since independence. If uh, you're given an opportunity to speak to the leadership of the country on what is going on there, what would you tell them? What I would tell them is that there's a need for uh, a transitional government, and that government should not include the current uh, incumbents. We actually need to have a transitional government uh, where the presidency would actually be uh, uh, a collegial presidency, uh, a presidency that actually would include the three regions of Equatoria, Bahar Ghazal, and Upper Nile. And then uh, in that government also, we would actually have uh, this, the, uh, the Speaker of the House and two deputies 
and then uh, a Speaker of the Assembly, and also two deputies. All these should be distributed in the three regions, and we'll also have uh, uh, a chairperson of the Electoral Commission with two deputies that will also, you know, uh, be representing all the three regions. So within the transitional period, then we would be able to, you know, fix things. And then after that, uh, we will have, you know, elections after that. And, th- and then uh, those people, the incumbents who are right now in, in government, if they want to come and run for election, they can come that time. But this should not be the one. Elections should never be held when they are actually in power because we know that what the outcome would be. They'll rig the process. But, 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 but will that solve what went wrong in South Sudan? Um, I agree with you. That will not answer the problems of South Sudan completely because we'll have to bring other components into uh, into the process, and that is... We need, uh, we have to take this uh, issue of greed. I think right now the problem in South Sudan is mainly contributed by, uh, you know, the greed in the leadership because, as you all know, corruption has become so ubiquitous in South Sudan. Um, the other thing also is, uh, I think, to put things in order, we need uh, to make sure that... Uh, uh, we actually have a program because I think right now there's really no vision uh, for South Sudan and I think that's one thing that the leadership has actually missed because when you take leadership then you must be able to kind of plan out what you expect to deliver to the people that's Oliver Moga, member of the South Sudanese professionals in the diaspora he spoke with my colleague John Tanza from Bloomington in the US state of Minnesota We have a special announcement for listeners. Join us on Saturday, July 9th for a one-hour special edition of this program hosted live from Juba by my colleague John Tanza from 6.30 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. Again, that date is Saturday, July the 9th, 2022. And that's all we prepared for you this Monday. Thanks for allowing us into your homes, cars, and on your phones. Join us again tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America.